Mark chapter 1 verse 14. <clears throat> After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing the nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their, net, their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly all over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John uh, to their home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak, because they knew who he was. Oh, fantastic. Well, what a joy it is that we get to look again at Mark and uh, explore just a little bit further what this gospel has for us. Uh, last week was a bit of an introduction, and we're going to pick up from there, hopefully, and just expand into this next section. Uh, but before we do so, let me ask a question, and I hope for a response. So let's hear some of your thoughts. Uh, what is, in your opinion, when you hear the word authority, what is authority to you? Anyone want to give examples of what your first natural opinion is? A ruling authority, cool. Yeah, anything else? Authority? Someone above you, yeah. Obey? Expert in the field? A wife? Okay. <laughs> the right answer (laughs) 
Yeah, wives? <laughs> Anyone else? I mean, not any other ones that are throwing <laughs> Experts, yeah. Someone that's been appointed, yeah. Has the right to. Okay. Mm. Cool. So this morning we're going to try and expand a little bit on what is authority, at least in this context, in this passage. Um, and maybe some of those things that you have said will come into into li- in line with what this passage holds, and maybe some not so, and that's okay. Uh, but obviously when we come to God's Word, uh, often things are turned on its head, so don't expect the obvious. Um, but yeah, let's take a look and see. But before we do so, I'm going to just open in a word of prayer, and then we'll take a look. Let's pray. Well, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time as we come to your word, as we wrestle with it, as we think about it. I pray that you may open uh, the eyes of our hearts to hear and to know and to grow in our love for you all the more. And gracious Father, I pray that you go before us as we look at this passage, and we thank you that ultimately as we consider authority, uh, that we are recognizing Jesus Christ as the one who is true authority. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at Mark 1, verse 1 to 15. And so obviously we are doing a bit of an overlap here. Uh, Mark 1, verse 1 to 13 really highlights the Old Testament. And it paints a picture for us of what is about to happen in order to fulfill uh, a much of what the Old Testament speaks about or spoke about and how Christ is the one who is going to take on this role. In verses 14 to 15, we just pick up there again. It says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So first and foremost, what we just want to pick up before we get into this section is that after John was put into prison, that's important for us to just pick up. Once John was put into prison, as he was arrested or handed over, uh, Jesus' ministry began. John's ministry came to an end, and that marked the beginning of the ministry that Jesus would do publicly. And so his ministry would begin. And then what would Jesus do? Well, he would proclaim the good news of God. Uh, What is the good news? This is amazing how Mark's written this, just so compact. What's the good news of God? The time has come. Uh, He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe uh, the good news. So the kingdom of God is has come near. This is the good news, and we see that ultimately, as Mark writes that, we know that he has a bigger picture, and he understands that this kingdom of God that has come near is made possible in Jesus Christ, as he is the one who brings the kingdom with him. Wherever the king is, the kingdom is there, and here Christ is. And he says, repent and believe the good news. So therefore, in order to believe and acknowledge that this kingdom is near, there needs to be repentance and belief that he is the king of the kingdom. And so that's where this section really gets underway for us as we see the unfolding events. Now, if we followed the reading, you would have heard that there were basically three different accounts of things happening. Did you pick that up? Okay. First section is the call for disciples. So he calls Simon and his brother Andrew, and he calls John, uh, let's see there, uh, James and John. He calls them. 
That's then followed by another story, which is Jesus who drives out this uh, evil spirit, this uh, impure spirit, this demon in the synagogue. And then the final kind of section or picture that you get is him in the house of James and John. uh, Sorry, not James and John. They went with Simon and Andrew. And in Simon's mother-in-law's house, you have this account of her being ill with a fever, helps her up. She's healed, and then the masses of that town gather to be healed. And so really what we are going to look at this morning, just in light of these three accounts, is ultimately the authority of Jesus Christ. We're going to pick up on that authority. And all of these pictures, all of these accounts, all of these situation scenarios really paint for us a picture of his authority, believe it or not. Uh, But authority that may look, as I said earlier, a lot different to how we may see authority in some ways. Slightly different to what you might expect. Um, Because how does him calling disciples look like a demonstration of authority? We can understand it maybe with driving out of a demon uh, and then maybe healing. That kind of makes sense for us. But how do all of these really represent the authority of Jesus Christ? Well... Let's quickly go back for a moment into the Old Testament. I'm going to just read for us one account. Uh, Going back to Genesis 18. You can turn there if you want, otherwise you don't have to. But Genesis 18, we're going to pick up uh, and we're going to just take a look at verse 16 to 19 there. So that's Genesis 18, 16 to 19. Now we all know the account uh, of the story It is just before God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, But an important part of the story is him establishing Abram and calling Abram. Listen to these words that he says, that it says in verse 16 onward. It says, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom and Abram walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do? Abram will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abram what the Lord has promised him." The reason why I want to highlight this account is it's going to help us to understand. So first and foremost, this idea of what God's promise is for Abram is that he is going to be a blessing. But how is he going to be a blessing and to who is he going to be a blessing? First thing is he is going to be a blessing to the nations. The promise that Abram was given was not for himself, not for Israel alone, but for the nations. This was a gospel-like promise that was given. If you think about it, when you look at Israel's history, we so often think about Israel in isolation. Just Israel on their own and God's promises to them. But God's promises to Abram was to be a blessing to the nations. And beyond that, Abram is called by God. God is there in the midst. There are the accounts of the three, the three men that come and visit two angels and one is sounds somewhat more peculiar we're not sure but it sounds like the angel of the lord 
Um, and so as we see the story unfolding here, he is called. He is called to be a blessing, a blessing to the nations, to be one who will help all those that call upon the name of the Lord to grow, to flourish, to live in and under that same blessing. And so we really, we come to Mark uh, 1 verse 16 to 34 here, and we start to see this kind of picture. Because if you look back into the Old Testament, you see Israel's failure to live up to that Abrahamic promise, that covenant that was made. There was often times that Israel wasn't a blessing to all the nations. And here we start to see something begin to shift within this narrative of the Bible as we know it. Jesus enters the picture to become this perfect representation of being a blessing to the nations. But it starts very peculiarly. So let's pick up in verse 16. It says, And Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brothers Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That's important for us to notice. That was their trade. They had most likely been in it for some time. Them being fishermen meant that they were not part of the Pharisees or the Sadducees being trained underneath them. They were tradesmen. And what's interesting is Jesus, what he does in verse 17. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. We just read the next piece. It's very similar. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Jesus' first account by Mark is quite peculiar. And there's a couple reasons why this is peculiar, but the main two that we are going to highlight is in this day and age, in Jesus' time, As he walks, it is not the custom for the rabbis to go out and find disciples. This was not the tradition in this day and age. It was not part of their culture. The rabbis would sit in the synagogues and all those that seem to be capable and have a ability to understand the scriptures would sit under that teaching. And if they excelled, they would sit longer under further teaching. And so they would grow into the position and they would follow those rabbis as they went. But here you have Jesus, this rabbi, as they will eventually call him, going out and calling disciples. This is peculiar It breaks the mold of what's expected within the culture. And beyond that, notice the immediate response followed by the disciples. They drop their things, they drop their nets, they leave their family, their father, and they go. They follow Jesus. This is really remarkable, because as we read just the promise that was spoken about Abram, Do you remember the words that we used about Abram? Capture them one more time for us. Abram, he says, Abram will surely become a great and powerful nation um, and all the nations on earth 
and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him. Here you have Jesus Christ, the chosen Son of God. He is the Son of God who has come, but he comes to choose. And so the first act of authority is the ability for the Messiah, the King, to choose. He chooses, he calls. But notice what his call entails. Second part of it that's so important is listen to those words that he says in verse 17. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. The authority that he has to call, he then says, I will also give that authority to you to go and call and make disciples. And that we see at the end of the gospel as he gives the commission to go and make disciples. All the more clear. So Jesus demonstrating his authority here is having been chosen, he comes to choose. And he chooses those he chooses to choose to choose to choose. You sitting here are here because someone called and you heard a call and that call ultimately comes from Christ (laughs) because he has the authority to call. Maybe some of you have a significant story. Sitting here, you can all reflect on your own lives. Did you come to know the gospel because of someone that said something to you perhaps? Maybe there was some person that played a significant role. Others have a slightly more intimate and heartfelt response, having felt God call them far more clearly and directly in their own hearts, in their own lives. My own personal thing is I see people and God instrumental in different areas and different ways in my life so that I can stand and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I see in my life through other people, that authority of Christ to bring about repentance and belief. So here, I myself stand here as a witness of that reality. Because Jesus calls, I have been called. And again, countercultural. I gave it some more thought. Our culture today is not different to the culture back then. Some cases, maybe it is different. But if you think about school, who of you decided which school you wanted to go to? I know it doesn't always work that way. But who of you decided you had a choice between two schools? Anyone decide? Anyone decide on what they wanted to study after school? (laughs) It's interesting that we, in this day and age, seem to have the choice what we want to go and do. But I think there is this compelling call that Christ puts out that isn't like that. There isn't another choice. I mean, there is another choice, but the other choice is excluding Christ. It abandons him. But here we are today needing to choose. Do we want to choose to follow Jesus? Or do we want to follow something else, some other aspect of life? Because when we see and hear his call, we hear his authority to do so. The next aspect we can take a look at is verse 21. They went to Capernaum. 
And when, uh, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit spoke. The, uh, the impure spirit shook and the man, uh, the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now this account is quite a peculiar one as well. Not only has Jesus got the authority to call, but he has also got the authority to teach. And it is the manner in which he teaches that is the authority. So the authority that Jesus taught with, and why does it look different, is for this reason. The teachers of the law would come and proclaim the law. And what they would expand would have been off the backs of anyone who came before them. But Jesus came in a way that his teaching sounded completely new, as he most likely expanded the Old Testament, expanded the scriptures in ways that they had not heard before. And so that surprised them. And not only that, but as he drives out this demon in this case, as well within the synagogue, the peculiar event that takes place is that you go through and search the Old Testament, this kind of teaching or thing is just not quite heard of. But as you look here, there may have been a custom and an understanding of impure spirits, of demons, but Jesus has the authority to silence and to drive out. And their response to both his teaching and what he does is, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. He didn't go through a ritual, a whole process of trying to drive this demon out of this, this man. He just speaks and there is silence and it obeys. Jesus has the authority. But there is an aspect to this that we need to just highlight. Obviously, not only does he have the authority, but he also is very intentional with what he says. He silences the demon, the impure spirit, for one particular reason, the exposure of who he is as the Son of God. Now, it's not because he doesn't want to be known as the Son of God, but timing is important. This is the beginning of the ministry, at least, of Jesus, as Mark tells the story. And for Jesus to reveal his true identity as the Son of God would put him on the cross far before his time. And so, in one sense, he knows his time as well. He knows what must happen and when. And so here Jesus is demonstrating that authority, that power. The next account we see is verse 29 uh, through to 34. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. 
Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So this kind of ties in with the previous story, or the previous account. This is taking place on the Sabbath. We're not going to get into Jesus doing things on the Sabbath. That we can look at in a, in a passage in the next couple of weeks because that highlights it far more. But he has performed one incredible healing or driving out a demon in the synagogue on the Sabbath. But here, everybody recognizes Jesus. After having healed, uh, healed Simon's mother-in-law, the other people within the town, they come to him as well to seek healing. But they come after sunset. Once the sun had set on the Sabbath, that was marked as the end of the Sabbath. And so the next day would begin. And that is why they only came after sunset. But Jesus' authority exceeds that. His authority is greater than that. They come for healing, they come for deliverance, or whatever you want to express it as. But I think as we get to the end of this section in Mark, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the purpose of all of this? Is it the fact that Jesus has the power to drive out demons or to heal? Or is it to demonstrate his authority as the true Son of God, who has not yet fully been revealed? Notice the words that are said He silences the demon because he doesn't want them to reveal who he is. And he silences all the other ones later because he doesn't yet want his identity fully revealed. He has the authority to do so, but he also has to keep that silent for now. And everything that he does demonstrates this authority. He calls calls the disciples... He teaches, and all that he calls and he teaches is in line with him and his authority that he has. And as we look at what Jesus' ministry was set up to be, we're going to read that again, verse 14 and 15, just to highlight what Jesus was meant to do. Said after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. That good news of God is that the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. His authority is not only to call and to teach, but to bring in this kingdom, this new kingdom that looks very different to the world around them. A kingdom that is not neither that ni- that neither looks physical nor spiritual as they have seen it. He is bringing about a kingdom that is far greater, far more powerful, far more pure and true. And so, the authority that he brings is this authority of his kingdom. This authority that he demonstrates is that of his kingdom. Us today, sitting here, we are part of his people. 
We get to call ourselves sons and daughters. We are co-heirs in Christ. Co-heirs in this kingdom that he has brought about. And we are called in. We are invited to be part of this kingdom. And we have been given an invitation to be part of it as well as to invite. And so just in reflection of this passage in Mark, the question is, how do I know or how do we respond to this? And how do I know that I'm responding to this? As much as I have responded to this call, I will want to call. I will want to invite people in, everyone and anyone that I can find. Because this kingdom is a cosmic kingdom, an incredibly grand kingdom, beyond just flesh and blood. It is all-encompassing. And he is inviting us into his kingdom. And as we saw last week, this kingdom, as we know it, is building to a point where he will restore all things, create a new heaven and a new earth. And that will be part, we will be part of that kingdom. So, the challenge for us today is to continue to respond to the call. To continue to respond to Christ. As he calls his disciples, he's preparing them to be fisher, fishers of fishermen of men. And they go out and they spread the gospel. And as we look at this today, this is just a representation of what they have done. As they have gone out and spread the word. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, still looking at this word. And we continue to spread it, to share it, to remind people of who Jesus Christ is. As I was preparing this, this talk, I got a song stuck in my head. Ludwig wanted me to do a solo, but I won't. I'm not going to sing it. But the song that got stuck in my head was a song that I grew up as a child um, singing when I was in church. It's amazing how important singing songs are. Um, And I remember singing songs when I was a kid in church. And this was particularly one of those. Never quite understood it. And perhaps I understand it a little bit better today. Very simple song, easy to remember. But with three simple words captures this passage. I'll show you the three words now. The song begins, Majesty. Worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. And with three words, he says, Majesty, kingdom, authority. Flow from his throne unto his own. His anthem, raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings.
Beautiful song. <laughs> I love that song. But I appreciate it far better now. <laughs> so this morning I pray that we may want to declare that. Declare his authority, his kingdom authority, that he is the majesty, that he is king of all kings, and that all that he is, he reveals to us, has shown to us. And let's declare that together. As we sing together, as we spend time drinking coffee together, as we engage with other people that have yet to know his name, Let's declare him. Let's love him. Let's call. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have called, that your call went out as it did to the disciples, as you called them. Here we are today, having also heard of that call. I pray, Father, that just the joy of knowing your authority to save to call, to transform our lives because of your Son. And Father, we sit in great anticipation for one final call, a call to call us home into your kingdom. We know that this life is temporary. And that it is fleeting and confusing and so many different things. But every time that you call, you demonstrate your authority, your grace, your love, your salvation. And I pray that we may exalt your name, praise your name, glorify your name. Every time. If we hear your call in our lives that we respond. If we hear the call in others that we praise and rejoice. And so Father I do pray that we may hear your voice. And that we may grow and continue to be transformed by and through you. In Jesus' name, amen.